through the book of Galatians and the theme set free in 2023. So I hope that um, hope it's sticking for you. I hope you're reading Galatians yourself as you go through uh, these weeks. Set free in 2023, discovering freedom in Christ. What it means for us to be free in Christ and what, it, what we can show to others and encourage others to experience as freedom in Christ as well. So we're, we're up to uh, Galatians. We, now, I had an interesting uh, revelation this week. I got ahead of myself. So Pastor Jeff did a great job, uh, Lincoln did a great job earlier on preaching through Galatians and then I skipped into chapter 3. I was so eager to get to the theology section. Not really, but I was, uh, I don't know if it was his head cold coming on or what, but I leapt over one of the best parts of chapter 2. So guess what, we're going back there. And uh, we're going to look at what it means to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. So a little bit of a recap for those that haven't been with us on this journey yet, but then uh, we'll get into uh, chapter 2, the, the verses 11 to 21. Uh, for anybody that's been a preacher, and, or if you're a, a, a budding preacher and you want to become a preacher or to open the Word of God, there's a danger. Uh, there's a danger in being a preacher. The danger is that there's, there's so much good information out there that there's so many great illustrations, there's such wonderful uh, research into the scriptures that you've got to try and contain it, uh, you know what I mean? And, and, and try to condense it down to 20 minutes or half an hour or perhaps like this morning, three hours. No, 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 we're not going to go there. But, we're, but the exciting part is that, that the word of God is real for today and uh, God wants to say something to us this morning. He wants to say something to us about that we can stand firm in the truth of the gospel. And that's the thing that we need to do over and over again. I hate looking through microphones at people. And I want to start with a bit of a story this morning. I don't know how good you are with uh, um, Russian stories or, or Russian parables, but there's this one Russian parable which really sets the scene for this scripture that Paul's going to share with us. And this story is about a hunter who went bear hunting. And remember, it is just a parable, so it's not necessarily a true story, but it brings a meaning. One day, this hunter raised his rifle, took careful aim to shoot the bear, and just as he was about to pull the trigger, the bear whispered something in a soft, smoothing voice. He said to the hunter, is it better to talk than to shoot? This is the bear. Okay. What do you want? Let's, let's negotiate this matter. I can understand a bear saying that, can't you? especially on the other end of the rifle. So, lowering the rifle, the hunter replied, I want a fur coat. And good, 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 said the bear. That's negotiable. I only want a full stomach. How about we compromise? So, they sat down to talk and after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach and the hunter had a fur coat. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. That was on the basis of compromise. So everybody knows where the hunter was? Feeling the bear's stomach. Yeah, he had his fur coat. Okay. So compromise is not always a good thing, is it? Certainly when it comes to hunting bears, it's not a good thing to compromise. But it's definitely not the case when it comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul 
issue with the churches in Galatia was that they'd started to compromise the good news that he had told them originally about Jesus Christ. And it was a time when he was concerned from that they were being misled because they had compromised on some of the things that they'd heard. God wants us as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, to be peacemakers in this world, but he doesn't want us to compromise his word. He doesn't want us to, uh, to make the word of God shape and bend to suit ideologies or world views. He wants God's word to stay firm. So in this series, Set Free in 2023, we're going to look at how Paul addressed the issues with the churches in Galatia, in that region, in, in, uh, in what we now know as Turkey, because some false brothers, in, uh, in one translation it calls them false brothers who claim to be from Jerusalem, from the head church if you like, came to Galatia and began to undermine what Paul had taught originally to the new believers in Galatia. And these false teachers were confusing these new Gentile Christians. Remember, Jews from Jerusalem, uh, in, in the area of uh, uh, Turkey and Greece, a lot of Gentile non-Jews. And so these people were being confused because the false teachers were coming to these new Gentile converts or Christians and saying that in order to be saved, yes, they had to believe in Jesus, no doubt about it, but they also had to be circumcised and they had to live out the Mosaic law the law that Moses had given to the Jews. So, so it, was, it was faith in Jesus plus these other actions and that's the thing that, con- that concerned Paul. He, he saw that the influence of these false teachers was, was damaging the believers in Galatia and so he wrote this letter to them. He wrote this passionate letter to them, this letter that we call Galatians. Excuse me. We saw in chapter 1, that Paul had to defend his apostleship. He had to defend, defend the gospel and he had to defend his apostleship. So his credentials, in other words, what right did he have to teach this good news? And he showed that his apostleship came directly from God. He met Jesus in an encounter and Jesus commissioned him to stop fighting the people of the way but to go and teach people about the way, the truth and the life, Jesus Christ. Paul explained in chapter 1 that his gospel wasn't dependent on what the, the church leaders in Jerusalem thought because God had given his uh, gospel directly to Paul. And he told about his conversion, how he had received that gospel directly from Jesus. Then we went into chapter 2 and we saw how Paul demonstrated even though that his gospel didn't come from the Jerusalem apostles, he wanted to get back to Jerusalem just to confirm that they were on the same page, that everybody was on the same page, they were saying the same gospel. And he did, and they were. And the reason why he did that, the reason why he wrote about it in the letter to the Galatians was, these false um, teachers, or Judaizers they were called, they were claiming that he didn't have the right to teach the gospel. They, where, where was your authority coming from? So he said, okay, even though I didn't know, need to go and get approval, I went to Jerusalem to make sure that we're on the same page and we are teaching the same gospel. So today we're continuing in chapter 2 and, and Paul writes here in these verses, from verses 11 through 21, he writes about an incident that happened in a town called Antioch between him 
and the Apostle Peter. Peter at that time was the head of the church. And in doing that, Paul wants to highlight three things that I've called this morning. He highlights in this part of his letter the problem that he is addressing and then he talks about the procedure that he took to address that problem and the prescription for making sure it didn't happen again. So that's where we're going this morning, very quickly. So let's read from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 24. If you haven't got your Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen and we're going to look at the problem first. So how about, uh, if you like reading this together, why not? Let's exercise our voices. We've been singing a lot, but let's exercise our voices. Actually, I've got a better idea. Why don't you read it and I'll listen? That'll save my voice. Ready? Verse 11. Hit it. So you get the picture? Peter had come to visit. He was happily meeting and and associating amongst the Gentile believers. But then this other group arrived and he pulled back a little bit. Can you imagine that? That's what he did. Verse 13. Thank you for that. So Peter had come from Jerusalem. You can see down there on the left-hand side of the screen, the blue arrow, that's Jerusalem. 480 kilometres to the north, which is about here to Townsville, isn't it, uh, is the town on that map It says Syrian Antioch. It was really just called Antioch in those days. And so Peter had come as a representative from the head church, probably doing a bit of a, a trip through Israel to visit the churches along the way, He'd ended up in in Antioch because they'd heard about what was happening up there in the church and they thought they'd come and have a look. So Antioch was uh, the third largest city in the Roman Empire of the day. So it was a a significant town. It was certainly a large Christian component in that town. So even though... (coughs) Excuse me. Nearly missed it. (laughs) Even though um, uh, it was still in Israel, uh, there was a large Gentile component in that town. Acts 13, uh, later on, uh, Luke writes Acts 13 as a historian and he relates to how that church sent out the first missionary teams into the rest of uh, um, uh, the Macedonian area or the um, Mediterranean area, sorry. And so they were the fir- one of the first missionary sending churches. So think about this. Peter comes for a visit one day and he comes there and he meets with the folk. Can you imagine what he saw? I'm trying to put myself into Peter's shoes. He came, they'd heard about this church, they'd got letters about it, they'd heard comments about it, but he was the one who had walked with Jesus for three years. He was the one who had heard Jesus' teaching. He was the one who had seen Jesus' miracles. He was the one who walked on water for a little time when Jesus called him out of the boat. He came to visit this town and he was amazed at what was happening there. People crowded around him, I'm sure. This head of the church, this leader of the church coming to see what God was doing in their town. 
And I think Peter was amazed. He was amazed that God was working in people's lives, non-Jewish people. And that staggered him. But he wasn't the only one that was amazed. There was another group, Paul tells us in this passage, there was another group that came to Antioch. And they saw Jews and Gentiles worshipping together in one place, in one church. Maybe they were singing the same songs, working together, praying together, even eating together. And this second group of people were amazed at the point that they were shocked in their amazement. They thought, how could this be happening? Those people, they haven't been circumcised. They're not following the Mosaic law. They're not, they're not doing what we're doing in, in Jerusalem. How, did, how can God be here? And so they started to correct those people. That was part of the problem. They started to correct those people by saying that they needed to get circumcised and they needed to follow the ways of Moses. Two different approaches. Peter was excited. He could see God at work. This other group of people, they came and they were critical of what was happening. They said they were from James, from one of the other leaders in the church and that gave them some credibility some reason for the people to listen to them, but they were saying something totally against what Paul had preached. Whatever they said, we don't know, but, but what they did say was that, what, what they, as a result of their, what they said, they changed Peter's attitude. That's dangerous, isn't it? Because what did he do? He withdrew. He withdrew from that eating with the Gentiles. He withdrew from recognising them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe he did it out of fear. Maybe he did it because they carried some weight in their argument. We don't know. But sadly, he did it to the point where other Jewish believers did the same thing. And that's terrible. That's the problem that Paul was addressing when he wrote this. Peter came, he was amazed, the other people visited, they are amazed too, but they are appalled at what they saw. So sad, isn't it, that God was doing something but those people from Jerusalem couldn't see it because they had one thing in their mind, that it wasn't done the right way. Talking about the procedure and the prescription, what did Paul do about it? What did he do when this happened? He saw that they weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He saw that Peter's hypocrisy, as it were, was compromising the gospel itself. So he felt so strongly that he had to do something. And so he rebuked Peter in front of the whole church. Now, just, let's just think about this. Peter was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, one of the leaders of the first major head Christian church of the day. And here was Paul taking him to task over his actions. I wonder what Peter felt like. I wonder what Paul felt like because he had a great respect for Peter. Let's read in verses 15 to 21. And again, I'll ask you to read it for me. Let's do that. Verse 15. These are Paul's words. Verse 17. 
and verse 20. Do you see the argument that Paul was using? He was speaking directly to Peter and, of course, uh, the other people who were listening in of the day and he was writing to him and saying, this is what you need to understand. One of the key elements of that, a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Christ. And Paul will say this over and over again in different ways throughout his entire letter. But on that particular occasion he had to confront Peter with this. Secondly, he said, if a person could be justified by works of the law, then Christ died in vain. Christ died for nothing. Is that true? Yes, it is. If, if, if people could live perfectly according to the law that God gave to Moses, then there wouldn't be any need for Christ. But that's impossible. So Christ died because we couldn't live perfectly according to that law. And thirdly, by the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus allows us to surrender That means to die to ourselves, to the law, and to die to himself in order that Christ might live in us. They're the important points that Paul is trying to drive home. Peter, do you think Peter knew these things already? Of course he did. That's what Paul went to Jerusalem to confirm, that the things that he was teaching were the things that all the other apostles were teaching throughout the Christian church at the time. Paul knew that this was wrong, this teaching that these people were bringing. Because he had been there. That's what he used to do. He was a, uh, a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jew through and through before his uh, conversion to Christ, before salvation. As Saul of Tarsus, before his conversion, he would have been full on into that teaching. The law of God, the law of Moses is the only way to live. But it would have been hard work to keep up with that. He could, it would have been struggling to obey all the rules and there'd be a sense of guilt and failure because you just couldn't do it. But when Christ came to him, when Christ came into his life, he fulfilled the law and all that the law had asked, he fulfilled it and then he set it aside as it were so that people might walk in a relationship with him and know God in a personal and intimate way. To be alive to Christ no longer means that we live for ourselves, or we need the law to survive. That's what Paul was saying in this letter. He's reminding Peter of those things and us too. Once Paul had experienced this new life and this new relationship with Jesus, there's no way he was going back to the old life. No way he was going back to the, following the law and its rules and there was no way he was going to let anyone influence other people to do the same either. He was totally convinced that the The gospel that he stood for, faith in Christ alone, was what would drive him for the rest of his life. Now the interesting thing is we don't have any records of Peter's response to Paul's uh, rebuke or his response to uh, the truth that Paul was was conveying to him. But we do know that when we read uh, Peter's writings in his letters in 1 and 2 Peter, there's no deviation at all from the grace of of God. There's no deviation of all, at all from faith in Christ alone. There's no faith plus element. So I think Paul's rebuke 
found the right spot and Peter learned to lesson from it. It's obvious too from the history of Christianity that the Judaizers that Paul was addressing this letter to in the Galatian area, they didn't succeed either in their determination to try and pull people back into the ways of the law. We have the gospel truth today because the Galatians listened to Paul, responded in faith to Christ and it was faith alone that saved them, not faith plus. So what's the lessons that we can learn from this passage today? That verse, Galatians 2.20, should be one of those verses that we memorise. It should be one of those uh, verses that comes to us at the right time to remind us that it's through faith in Christ alone. Could I say to you today, and this might be something that you're very aware of, one of the lessons that comes out of this passage is there are no infallible leaders, whatever in the church of God. What does that mean? Infallible means somebody who doesn't make a mistake. Now, I'm not making excuses here, but Peter was the, one of the leaders of the church and he made a mistake. Did God forgive him? Yes, he did. Did he make the mistake again? We don't know, but hopefully not. But we need to realise that, that, that all of us are imperfect and we will make mistakes from time to time. Even spiritual leaders need to be corrected And that includes me. I'm so glad that I've had people over the years uh, in in various churches and outside the churches that I've trusted my Christian walk to who've held me accountable on certain things that I've done and certain decisions that I've made. Because believe it or not, I've not always made the right decisions. And I'm so thankful for people in the churches too because if they hear me preaching something from the pulpit which is a bit off, then thankfully people have come up to me and say, look, that just didn't sound right. Let's, look at, let's see what the Word of God says together. And I've been lovingly corrected and I'm so thankful for that. So Peter is an example of an, a leader who is prepared to be corrected for his actions, let alone his words. Sadly, in our world today, the famous Christian leaders who do something wrong often don't listen to the people who have been wanting to correct them along the way. They don't have any accountabilities in place. They don't have anybody speaking to their life saying, did you really mean that or why did you do that? What are you going to do about it? And so we need to be praying for those that are in, in, in positions of leadership in the life of our churches and certainly in the public sphere that they will know God's prompting from his Holy Spirit They'll listen to God through the people of God as well. I want to tell you though, it's not easy. It's not easy for someone to come up to you and say, what you said I don't think is right. Let's have a look at it together. It's a humbling experience for someone to say that. It's a humbling experience which says, I need to take notice of this person. Let's work through this together. I may not agree with them at the end, I am so thankful that they've approached me with their concerns. We need to be careful. And Peter learnt from Paul's rebuke that he was doing something, his actions were not honouring to God and what God was doing amongst the Gentile people. Do you know the Bible is full of leaders who were uh, not infallible? Leaders who'd made mistakes. And we learn from their lessons. 
And in fact, we try and not do the same mistakes ourselves. The second lesson that we can learn from this passage is to be aware of peer pressure. Most of us know what peer pressure is, don't we? And often, I don't know about you, but when I think of peer pressure, often I think of young people being influenced. But Peter wasn't a young person. He was an adult. And I think we've got to look at what's influencing us as adults in our world today. Certainly, young people, teenagers, young adults, have got a lot of pressures on their lives that will try and pull them away from faith in Christ, pull them away from leading a God-honouring life. But that happens for adults too, doesn't it? Where do we face peer pressure? And that's exactly what Peter was facing, wasn't it? He was bowing to the pressure of these Judaizers who were supposedly from Jerusalem with authority and he actions changed. What about us? Where do we face peer pressure? It could be at our, work, at our work or amongst our friends and family. Maybe some of them are not Christians and so uh, when we meet with them we, we pull back on our Christian walk a little bit. That's really bowing to peer pressure, isn't it? There's a pressure to materially keep up with the neighbours. You know, uh, the Joneses next door have got a brand new car. Gee, what can I do about getting a brand new car? That sort of thing. There's that sort of peer pressure. There's sometimes even a, a negative peer pressure in church, believe it or not, where, where, where when I say negative, I say, oh, don't be too radical because you might rock the boat. If you express your views in church, you might rock the boat. So don't be too radical, you know. Um, you know don't be too fanatical. There can be that pressure to just associate in our small group of friends without including new people or inviting other people to be involved in that. God wants us to be God-pleasers, not people-pleasers. And Peter forgot that when Paul had to rebuke him. He forgot that. I found this interesting quote. I think I've got it here. Wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. Right is right, even if no one is doing it. Do you get it? It's true, isn't it? If the crowd's going, if you're going along with the crowd and they're doing something wrong, it's wrong. But right is right all the time, whether nobody is doing it. And we've got to be in the right camp. So all of us, children, teenagers, adults, we need to be aware of peer pressure and not bend or compromise like a Russian bear hunter did to that peer pressure. And the last thing I think we can learn from today is that we need, to, we need to stay firm in the truth of the gospel. It's a story, like I said, that's emphasised over and over again in this letter to the Galatians and the reason why Paul emphasises this is because they didn't get it. They were being swayed, they were being uh, pressured by their peers away from that. Who's behind that, by the way? I think it's the devil. Satan will try everything he can to persuade us away from doing what God wants us to do. He will, provide, he will try and convince us that the doctrine of grace, of mercy, of faith in Christ alone is not the only way to get to God. You've heard that somewhere before, haven't you? Well, it's not teaching from the Bible. Satan wants us to believe that we can save ourselves rather than trust in Christ alone. When we hear those sort of things, we've got to be careful that we're not falling under the influence of what the devil is bringing into our lives. So the truth of the gospel is that we, 
we must stand for, it includes the understanding of these things. There's no way to be saved outside of Christ. Do you agree? There's no way to be saved except by grace through faith alone. No faith plus equals salvation. Nothing we do contributes in the least to our salvation. Our job is to trust in and depend on God's grace and to live by faith. Our job is to die to self and allow Christ to live in us and through us. I want to finish this morning with a reference to an Old Testament story. And this Old Testament story is about um, King Jehoshaphat. Uh, It's in 2 Chronicles and I'm going to read these verses, just verses 5, 6 and 12. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. He said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. This was a prayer that he was praying as uh, Israel, Jerusalem was being attacked by uh, Moabites and Ammonites, enemies in their area. And they brought this vast army toward Jerusalem. He started by his prayer, by saying these words. But in verse 12, he says this. I missed verse 12. I'll read it out. O our God, will you not judge them, that's the enemies? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Could have given in, could have surrendered, but their trust was in God alone. And this is what he says in verse I think it's God's reply in verse 17. Will you, not, uh, sorry, you will not have to fight this battle, God says. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. The next day, Jehoshaphat appointed men to lead the army into the place where the battle was going to happen. They were singing praises to God And when they got there, during the night, God had caused confusion amongst the Ammonites and the Moabites and they had killed each other. So when Jehoshaphat and his army arrived, the whole place was full of dead bodies. God had done something amazing. The story ends with Jehoshaphat and his army returning to Jerusalem, celebrating, praising God for the salvation that he had achieved for them. I wonder, do we ever get to that point where we say, Lord, We're a bunch of helpless people and we need you to rescue us. We're sunk. We're sunk. Do we forget about God's grace and power? Do we pull back from asking God to save us in those times? Do we recognise we're just a bunch of helpless people most of the time? That's exactly what Paul was addressing with Peter's situation. He he knew all this and yet he was stepping back from it. We all, the Bible tells, tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nothing good we can do will save our souls. That uh, Galatians verse in, in uh, oh, where are we? There. Verse, ah, good one. Verse 20, jumping all over the place. This is what Paul wrote, we read it earlier. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the gospel worth receiving. It's a gospel worth defending, which is what Paul was doing. It's not one that we need to stand firm on. There's no other gospel. 
I praise God that he loves us so much that he saved us by his grace. He sent his son to die for us and we have new, new life through faith in Jesus alone. My question to us all today is, will we stand for the gospel? We just sang that song. I stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we resist the peer pressure that's around about us? It might mean being different. It might mean taking a stand. It might mean not joining in with some of the stuff that's happening around about us. That's our choice. That's the choice we make as we stand firm on the gospel. God loves us. He gave his son for us. paid the price for our disobedience that we might be saved by grace through faith. We need to stand firm in that gospel. Let me pray for you today. Father, we thank you that Paul writes specifically in chapter 2 and addresses the conversation he had with Peter. One who was influenced by people who were bringing some poor teaching and felt that he had to step back from what he could see you were already doing amongst the lives of the Gentile believers there. Father, I pray that you'll open our eyes to the truth in people's lives around about us, that, that the gospel is active, that, the, that your Holy Spirit is active in people's lives as they keep their focus on Jesus. Lord, I pray that we will be able to uh, rejoice in that and encourage it and not be under pressure to step back from being faithful followers of Jesus in our day-to-day lives. Father, thank you for your encouragement this morning. Thank you for the reminder that there is incredible power in knowing Jesus and walking with him day by day. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.